Today on Reparations in Action. Uh, that's where he said that any African around the world who makes it to Haiti would be free. And actually, um, that was proven to be true. You're listening to Reparations in Action. Uhuru. You're listening to the Reparations in Action podcast and FM radio show, The White Lies Shattered series. My name is Jamie Simpson. White Lies Shattered is a program of reparations in action, exposing the insidious lies that we tell ourselves as white or European people about the nature and origin of America and the current social system. We believe reparations to African people is the key question of our times, and is one that demands action on the part of European or white people. As always, we'd like to salute Black Power 96, where this show is aired and recorded for our podcast weekly. Today, we are discussing the powerful impact of the African Revolution of Haiti, the first successful anti-colonial workers and African revolution in the world, and its impact on African resistance throughout the world. Last week, we had a very insightful discussion with Alikia Ngoma, member of the African People's Socialist Party and the Haiti editor of the Burning Spear newspaper. We decided that we'd have Alikia back for one more discussion to talk a little bit more about the huge significance of the African Revolution of Haiti. So Uhuru, Alikia, thank you so much for coming back on to our White Lies Shattered series again this week. Uhuru, thank you. Thank you for having me, Uhuru. And with us also today is Penny Hess, chair of the African People's Solidarity Committee and author of the book Overturning the Culture of Violence. Uhuru, and welcome back, Chairwoman Penny. Uhuru, Uhuru, it's so great to be here. We're thrilled to have you on again, uh, as well as you, Comrade Alikia. And we also have with us today, Jesse Neville, chair of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement. Uhuru, Jesse. Uhuru, Jamie, and Alikia, and Penny, and to all of our listeners, great to be here, as always. So, let's kick off this excellent discussion with these fantastic comrades. Uh, I want to turn it over first to you, Chairwoman Penny. Uhuru, thank you, Jamie. And yeah, I just really want to start by saluting and very, very um, deeply welcoming Alikia Ngoma, who is a member of the African People's Socialist Party, who is the Haiti editor of the Burning Spear newspaper, the, um, the organ, you know, the journal of the African People's Socialist Party, and just has written brilliant articles, profound um, very dynamic and um, is the expert on Haiti and whose family was from Haiti. And I, um, it's just, you know, I'm really honored to, to be here today and to, to have you with us again. Last week's or the last uh, episode on the Haiti revolution was incredibly powerful. And we just, had to have you back for a little bit more for this discussion and really appreciate that you could come. So welcome, Comrade Alikia Ngoma. Uhuru, thank you, Chairwoman Penny. I'm glad to be asked to continue this discussion on Haiti. Uhuru. 
Uhura. And so before we start, I just want to say that this whole series called White Lies Shattered as part of our overall podcast called Reparations in Action is here to address white people. We are white people. I mean, Jamie, Jesse, and myself are white people who are organized under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party with the understanding that there are two Americas, there are two worlds. There's the colonizer and the colonized. And that the capitalist system itself was born on the colonial assault on Africa and African people, turning African human beings into into commodities for sale with forced stolen labor, stolen genius, stolen land on the land taken from the indigenous people with genocide having been perpetrated against them here in the Western Hemisphere and all throughout the Americas and the Caribbean. And um, that it is our job here, our goal to say that we as white people have to see the world as it really is, not as we want it to be. And so this is what we're about, is being able to, to portray history and the current world today through the eyes of the African working class, not through the eyes of the colonizer. And that um, we recognize that as white people, reparations are owed to African people. And that the question of colonialism is the critical question in the world today. So we salute Chairman Omalia Shetela, who is the leader of the African People's Socialist Party, Deputy Chair Onizanea Shetela, and just all the tremendous work of the party fighting for the liberation of Africa and African people all around the world, seeing African people as one people wherever they have been forcibly dispersed throughout the globe. So that is... That is how we talk about every question, and it's how we talk about the question of the significance of the African Revolution of Haiti. So I just wanted to, uh, you know, to, to just discuss a few things today that we have, dis- that we have talked about, um, and I wanted to begin with saying to, to Comrade Aliki Ngoma that I'm struck by this statement by Dessalines' secretary, Um, back in 1801, and I just wanted to get your comment on it. I'll just read it really quick, and I would like to have your your input on this and on the question of the African Revolution of Haiti. So it was saying, this is from something on the internet, it said, on January 1st, 1804, Dessalines, the new leader under the 1801 Constitution, declared Haiti a state in the name of the Haitian people. Dessalines' secretary, Boisron Tonnerre, stated, quote, for our declaration of independence, we should have the skin of a white man for parchment, his skull for an inkwell, his blood for ink, and a bayonet for a pen. Incidentally, it is claimed that Boisron Tonnerre was chosen to author the declaration by Dessalines due to the statement itself. Uhuru. 
Uhuru. <laughs> um, well, it's really powerful and it really shows uh, Jean-Jacques Dessalines' stance when it came to, you know, the colonizers and, um, and also just African people not being, you know, having, uh, whether it's a complex of inferiority or, you know, that all, for all the cruel things that they have done to us, you know, now we are in power. It's not so much that we're going to, you know, colonize them back, but this, you know, we're, we're taking our power. It's about power. It's about revolution. Um, and it actually brings to mind another quote, um, in Jean-Jacques Dessalines' Declaration of Independence, where in the declaration itself, it says, let us vow to ourselves, to posterity, to the entire universe, to forever renounce France and to die rather than to live under its domination, to fight until our last breath for the independence of our country. Um, and then again, later on, it says, therefore vow before me to live free and independent and to prefer death to anything that would try to place you back in chains, swear finally to pursue forever the traitors and enemies of your independence. So I think, um, you know, that sentence that you said, um, that you read from Dissalin's secretary and the one I just read from Dissalin itself, it, it's just, uh, it's powerful. It's, it's, it's reclaiming our power. It's, you know, fierce, it's bold and it's brilliant. I think that, you know, I, I would just want to ask you, too, about what you were saying, what you just read from the uh, Declaration or the, the Constitution under Dessalines, that this commitment to never, never um, trust or in any way be connected to France, their colonies, yes. or ever again, as opposed to Toussaint Louverture. Right. Could you just say something about that really quickly? Yes, um, because uh, with Toussaint Louverture's, his constitution of uh, 1801, I believe, um, he never actually claimed independence from France. And um, in fact, he had what he was proposing would have France still be ruling Haiti and he would just be it, his vision for Haiti included French, uh, dominion. And so he said that Saint-Domingue in its entire expanse and, uh, Samana, La Tortue, Lagunave, Le Caimit, Ilavash, La Soan, and other adjacent islands for, form the territory of a single colony, which is a part of the French empire, but ruled under particular laws. And he saw himself as um as like being like a you could say a neo neocolonial um force but under French leadership so that is a a sharp difference between uh Toussaint Louverture and Jean-Jacques Dessalines yes and that was to prove to be the uh downfall of Toussaint could you just tell that story really quickly yes um, I actually explain a little more in my article for the Burning Spear, uh, Lessons from the African Revolution of IEC Part 2, The African Intelligentsia Must Fully Commit Class Suicide. Uh, Toussaint Louverture was a very brilliant um, person. He was always seen as a very, like from his youth, you know, he could read, um, he, he, he could write. 
Uh, he spoke French. And in terms of um, as he got older, his military expertise, he was very sharp. He was a very brilliant um, person and good at orchestrating how, you know, a battle would be carried out. He trained a lot of the Africans who would be in um, the armies. He also provided some training to Jean-Jacques Dessalines as well. But Toussaint um, believed that because of his brilliance and, and his expertise that he would be seen as equal to, you know, uh, French soldiers and other French leaders. And he did not have the same kind of understanding that Jean-Jacques Dessalines did that all colonizers and colonial forces must go. And so at one point, the French proposed a meeting with Toussaint Louverture and it would take place on a ship. And Jean-Jacques Dessalines warned him. He said, don't go on that ship. And Toussaint Louverture did it anyway. He got on that ship, they sailed away, and they locked him up in a prison on top of a French mountain where he froze um, he, he froze to death. And they, they just say he died of pneumonia, but uh, you know he died at the hands of the French. Um, and I, I would like to say that after him being in that prison, he did eventually, although it was too late, he did eventually realize that uh, Dessalines was correct. And he wrote back to, to Dessalines and he said to burn everything down, you know? So he, he finally came to the right conclusion. But if, if we did not have a Dessalines already, then that would have been the end of the revolution right there. Cause that, you know, his own class interests um, sacrificed the, the, the goals of the African revolution in, in Haiti. I mean, it is so profound. I mean, this is 1801, beginning in 1791. Just the the whole class question that the African People's Socialist Party and African internationalism and Chairman O'Malley Chatella, the, the whole class question that the chairman is still raising today, that the class question in the whole world is located in the colonial question, was played out in that revolution so clearly and, yes. you know, just as so typical and still happens today that the victory of the African revolution of Haiti under Dessalines was brutally attacked by both France and the U.S. and that Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson and even under George Washington that they were putting hundreds of thousands, even $750,000 into the hands of the white French plantation owners and other Africans who would side with them um, to be able to, you know, fight against this incredible African working class led uh, revolution that the world has never seen anything like it today. And when the, African People's Socialist Party says complete the African Revolution. <laughs> That's, you know, they're talking about Haiti. They're talking about African resistance over the years. My question is that, you know, as always, even today, um, writings on, you know, that you would read in history books, etc., will call Dessalines a dictator. And that, in fact, Dessalines was assassinated by a sector of the petty bourgeoisie, but probably backed by colonial power. So let's just say something about that. 
Yes, they, you know, they they call it um, the genocide of white people in in Haiti. They say he was a genocidal dictator, which completely, you know, is ridiculous. And to say that Haiti had a genocide of white people, that is, you know, white power and white um, white nationalists trying to find any semblance of what they did to African people anywhere that African people did this to them too. But, you know, it was enslaved people rising up against colonial slavery after centuries and years of brutal rape, murder, kidnapping, you know, all types of abuse, being forced to, you know, have sex with each other or, you know, with the the colonizers themselves, just really dehumanizing um, experience. In fact, we weren't even seen as humans you know, and so these Africans organize ourselves and take our freedom. And we understand that to end colonialism, the colonizer has to go. To end oppression, the oppressor has to go. And so we take um, this freedom and to say it's a genocide of white people or, you know, um, uh, Desalines was a brutal dictator is, you know, it's just, it's just very white nationalist logic. He was a leader. He was a freedom fighter. He was a revolutionary. In IET, they call him the father of the nation. Although as African internationalists, we know that, you know, IET alone is is not a, a nation of its own, but that's the regard that the people of IET have for Jean-Jacques Dessalines because he is the one that led, that completed that revolution, I would say, and led um, Africans to freedom up until that point. Yes. And in a way, you know, as the party says, the dictatorship of the African working class. That's what he was fighting for, and that's what the Constitution represents, the most progressive Constitution ever, way before socialist governments or anything like that. Just a a Constitution of incredible brilliance, um, empowerment of the African working class, and um, and empathy and, you know, just um, humanity. It's really, really beautiful. So um, just wanted to talk a little bit about that. The 1805 Constitution declares, among all thing, uh, other things, that all citizens shall be known as black. That white people can't own land, but... All citizens shall be known as black. That that is so profound. Could you just talk about that a little bit? Yes. So um, just to mention, I did also write about this for the Burning Spear um, in an article titled Jean-Jacques Dessalines 1805 Constitution of Haiti, uh, the progressive and anti-oppressive character of the African nation. And in uh, the the Constitution as... uh, Chairwoman Penny just said in Article 12, he says that no white man of whatever nation he may be shall put his foot on this territory with the title of master or proprietor, neither shall he in the future acquire any property therein. That's Article 12. In Article 13, he says the preceding article cannot in the smallest degree affect white women who have been naturalized Haitians by government nor does it extend to children already born or that may be born of the said women, the Germans and the Polanders naturalized by government 
are also comprised in the dispositions of the present article. And the reason why it was uh, those groups specifically is because um, they actually, there were, there were groups of these people who were participating in the revolution alongside of the Africans or under the leadership of the Africans against the French. And so based on their solidarity, um, he said, no, no white person can own land. And then he said they could be considered Haitians. And then in article 14, he says all exception of color among the children of one and the same family of whom the chief uh, magistrate is the father being necessarily to seize the Haitians shall henceforward be known only by the general appellation of black. So that is a statement of how he understood what it meant to be black or how we in the African People's Socialist Party says what it means to be African. It is to be anti-oppression. And I think the order of these articles even show uh, what Dessalin was laying out by saying that oppressive forces can never own land on this territory. This group of white people fought with us against oppression. They are characterized as Haitians. All Haitians are being called black. Therefore, to be black is to be against oppression. And to be under the leadership of African working class. Absolutely. I think that the um, also, if you, if you look at, let's say, the United States or France, where it's not said per se, but really all citizens are known as white. In other yeah. words, that is what that is what rules. That is what uh, Africans and other colonized people have to supposedly aspire to. They have to live up to the white colonizers' law and society built on the enslavement of African people. But yet, this turned it right side up. And it, it, I just think it's so profound also because it takes it out of the question of race and puts it into the leadership of the African working class and the ability for white people, sort of like the existence of the African People's Solidarity Committee under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party, you know, to, um, to, take, this, to take this stand to get rid of all relationship to property and colonialism in, in any kind of way and to be under the leadership of the government of, of African people and the leadership of African people. I just, I think it's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Nothing like that has ever been. Where is there something else like that? You know, there's, there's <laughs> no other example of anything like that in the world. Other other points in the Constitution, too. I mean, he says that, you know, for um, for a man to be considered Haitian, he has to be a good father and a good husband and a good citizen of the country, you know, or um, or saying that there's no such thing as an illegitimate child. You know, these. So just the Constitution itself, there's as he said, there's no other Constitution that is like this. And for this to have been in 1805, that's a very forward-thinking constitution. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you just, um, that is so beautiful, I feel. You know, just a positive society. There's no child that doesn't have rights. There's no such thing as, you know, illegitimate. Like, well, how, (laughs) 
I don't know when that passed in, in the U.S., but there's still no rights for a, quote, illegitimate child in a certain way because it's there's there's colonialism, there's oppression inside this country. And um, that, that, that was a beautiful, beautiful statement that says that it is the responsibility of the society to to nurture and take care of every child. Every child would have the equal ability to move forward in the society based on the kinds of, of you know, principles that, that it laid out. I thought it was also interesting that it had no state religion connected to it. Right. Um, in, in Toussaint Louverture's constitution, he, he made it that it would be Catholicism. Um, and I believe Toussaint was a Catholic, a Catholic himself. Jean-Jacques Dessalines um, gave people the the freedom of religion and did not have a state uh, religion. And he perhaps would have been uh, Voodooism, but he didn't even say, "Okay, now Voodoo is the thing." He just said people have the freedom to to practice whatever they want to practice, and there is no official religion of the country. And also the question that. Africans and other people, Africans from the U.S., enslaved and oppressed people anywhere in the world, what did it say about them? In his January 14, 1804 proclamation, uh, that's where he said that any African around the world who makes it to Haiti would be free. And actually, um, that was proven to be true. Um at, at one time, there was a ship of Africans that were coming from Jamaica, um, of enslaved Africans that were coming from Jamaica into the country. And the English wrote um, to Dissalin uh, and the other leaders there saying, by this time, Dissalin um, had been assassinated, but saying, um, you know, to return our property. And they meant the people. And the, the, the leaders said, We'll return the ship and, you know, the guns and the gold or whatever is in it, but the people are staying. And that's exactly what happened. Um, as well as groups of Africans that are coming from the United States, you know, they would come in, be free, be given Haitian citizenship and land. Um, there's another quote that it's not, I, I don't have the date for it, but it's something that we know very well in IET, um, which was around the time of the revolution itself. And shortly after, where Dessalines uh, made a cry on when he was on a discussion of poverty and land ownership, uh, he said, and the poor Blacks whose fathers are in Africa, will they be left with nothing? And of course, uh, following that statement, we have, we've seen how he addressed the question of land and um, work and, and, own, and Africans owning things in Haiti. So I think that's a powerful statement. And I, I also want to say, this was after Dessalines, but during the um, the German Holocaust, the the Jewish the Holocaust of Jewish people, the, the government of Haiti actually gave Haitian passports to a few hundred uh, a few hundred Jews, gave them Haitian passports to come into Haiti to to flee the Holocaust. So that's just a question of Haiti always being a place of standing up against oppression, you know? And of course, now we see that these leaders, um, you know, are united with oppression as they are neocolonial leaders, but the 
Haiti and and what it represents in the revolution. It's it's an anti-oppressive place, and that's what Africa and African people are anti-oppression. So I just wanted to say that as well. Yes, yes, very, very profound. And I think that I've heard Chairman Omalia Shatella make the point that white people uphold things like the Paris Commune and other kinds of European-led movements. But this is the true revolutionary movement. This was the first workers' revolution successful. It was the first anti-colonial revolution. It was the first enslaved African revolution that gained state power and influenced the world. It, It was just profound and electrifying to see African people, and it scared the it scared the colonizers to death. You know, it was really profound. And and just to say that also that, of course, France owned what was called the Louisiana Purchase in the United States, and the uh, defeat of the French army, which was, at that time was the most advanced, you know, biggest, best, strongest colonial army in the world at the time um, was so great. The defeat was so great that Napoleon couldn't fight anymore and he couldn't wage war with the U.S. to fight for the Louisiana Purchase and and defend it. And, uh, you know, he just just gave it up and, and the U.S. bought it for around $15 million and it was a huge swath of as we said, of land in the middle of the U.S. So the U.S. would have had to go to war for that. It just shows the power of this. It's so underestimated. It was, it was again, it was an electrifying victory of African people, and it was brilliant, incredibly brilliant, back, you know, two, more than 200 years ago. Uhuru, yes. I also want to say... Um, not only with that, because that was the final army that was, or the, the final European superpower that was defeated by those Africans there. Um, before that, um, the first two were, de- were defeated under Toussaint's uh, leadership. Uh, they defeated the the Spanish and also the the British. So three, three in total. Really so typical, you know, just had to fight every colonizer, you know, that, that was there. Um, and the, um, I think it's, it's also really important to, to say how they defeated the Napoleon's army. And it was being led by, wasn't it Napoleon's brother-in-law or something? I mean, it was the top general that was related to it was Napoleon's best general was leading that. And the thing that Dessalines did was take them into the swamps where there were mosquitoes and they understood that white people had no immunity to malaria, whereas African people did, and yellow fever. And they, I mean, how did they even know that in 1801? 1802. How do they even know about immunity and all these things? I mean, it's it was just amazing. Yeah, there were so many, you know, brilliant tactics. You had uh, Francois Macandal, who was yeah. an expert 
at at knowing plants. He knew how to create medicine. He also knew how to create poison with the plants. And so there was at one point of time where he ordered um, for Africans to, to kill all uh, the colonizers and any African who could not be trusted to stay true to the revolution as well. So that was, you know, because you're talking about 12 years of struggle, you know, 12 years of, of strategy, of organizing. So you have that. You also have Desalines, who was very um, much a believer in retaliation, in exact retaliation. So when uh, uh, the French general uh, Rochambeau uh, murdered five, ordered you know the murder of five hundred Africans, um, Desalines ordered the murder of five hundred colonial enslavers, and he, for number for number, you know. So you had all of all of these different tactics and, and strategies that were being used throughout this 12-year process. Amazing. Well, this has been really profound to have this further discussion with you, Comrade Alikia. And we're going to take a little break now. And when we come back, we will continue the discussion. But we want to talk about how the African Revolution of Haiti influenced African uprising and world revolution, really, throughout, uh, especially throughout the Western Hemisphere. was music from a BBC series called African Women Who Changed the World. The video was produced and edited by Kat Hawkins and is called Dahomey Mothers. It tells the story of the African all-female army of Benin who fought fierce battles against the French colonizers. And as Chairman Omalia Chatella has always said, African resistance began when the first white person came into Africa and made an African do something against their will. Yes, that is powerful music. And that's a powerful series, if if anybody can check that out online. And again, um, it's great to be back to continue our discussion with Aliki Ngoma, the the editor for for Haiti, the Haiti editor of the Burning Sphere newspaper, uh, under the, um, the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party and a member of the party. So it's great to have you back. It's, this has been an incredible, incredible discussion and so much powerful history so far. Um, welcome back, Alikia. And, you know, just some of, well, let me just say, first of all, that everything that I know about history comes from the African People's Socialist Party. There's no way that I would be able to, on my own, see the world through the eyes of the African Revolution. I have learned everything from Chairman Omali Shatella, from the political 
theory of African internationalism, which turns the world right side up and lets us see how things got to be the way they are and, you know, just exposes us to the world as seen and experienced through the African working class and colonized people here and around the world. So it is from this, this leadership that I have learned about the incredible history of African resistance and how there are African resistance fighters, as the chairman said, from the very moment that white people uh, came in and, and attempted to, to enslave and kidnap and terrorize and rape and pillage Africa and African people from the 1415, when the Portuguese first sent uh, white invaders there into Africa, African people have fought back and fiercely done so. And there were African men and women, as we just saw, what the series was talking about. There was not only the African mothers of Dahomey, there was there was Queen Nzinga of Angola who led a whole army that fought the Portuguese in the 16th century. There was Queen Mother Ya Asantewa who fought the British colonizers in Ghana and um, so many other examples of African men and women who have fought for and fiercely, fiercely defended African independence and, and fought to um, kick out, destroy, get rid of forever and wipe out off the face of the earth colonialism and the white colonizers coming in and stealing African human beings and the resources and land of African people. Uhuru, yes, I unite with that. And that is absolutely correct. And as you said, uh, Chairman Omali Shatella, who leads the African People's Socialist Party, you know, makes it clear to say that African people have always been resisting because, you know, there is there between the media and just general white education, they often try to make it seem as if we are not always resisting against colonialism, as if we just accept these things or there's a lie that we sold ourselves into slavery, um, that uh, the question of the happy slave, just all of these you know, caricatures and just false narratives, um, you know, but the truth is that we have always been resisting. And then in a place like Haiti itself, where Haiti was often the first stop um, um, uh, along the, the line. So you had, there were constantly Africans who have a very vivid memory of being free, who they themselves were kidnapped as opposed to being children of the kidnapped. So um, that resistance was, was was very strong. And then there was always this continuous drop off of newly kidnapped, newly enslaved Africans there. And uh, I also want to say that at the time of the, the revolution, two thirds of the Africans who, who made up the army of the African revolution in Haiti were born in Africa themselves. So... Um, wow. So that, you know, that is also a, a, a powerful statement as well. Wow. That, that is such an amazing point. You know, that, that's really, really powerful. And, um, you know, I just wanted to say, yeah, like you were saying, there were, there were so many 
so many rebellions all the time. In fact, I read once that the major cause of death for white people that that owned, quote, slave ships and went to Africa to kidnap African people, the major cause of death was resistance from African people. And so that's where, you know, they had insurance and Lloyd's of London that became trillion dollar industry that it is today, you know, started with that. And just this brutal, brutal reality of turning African human beings into commodities for sale. And some of the things like the Wolof rebellion were Africans in, I guess it would have been Saint-Domingue or, or Haiti, you know, um, from the very beginning, those were rebellions of African people against the sons of Christopher Columbus. So, you know, it's just all the way back to the beginning. And some of the, it would have been Hispaniola, 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 which was the name that Christopher Columbus gave, um, to the Island. The Island was called Aiti Kiskea Boyo, um, by the original Taino inhabitants. And, it was named to Hispaniola, and at the end of the revolution, Desalin changed it back to Haiti. And that is a beautiful thing, that they named it, the Africans named it after the indigenous people who had genocide committed against them. That is, that is just internationalism right there, you know, in, the, in a deep way. So it's very profound. Real. Um, yeah, this is Jesse. I just really want to appreciate this whole discussion so far and Alikia and, and Penny and, um, and everything that's been summed up. And the whole history is so powerful to learn about. And it is something that is really uh, not taught, you know, in a, in a Western or, or colonial education. Uh, if anything, you know, where the, the significance of the, of the African Revolution of Haiti, if it's mentioned at all, is significantly reduced to something maybe that just happened, you know, a long time ago in this remote place. And it's certainly not spoken of as something which has such central significance to the whole, uh, the whole world economy. And I think that's something that I'm really uh, taking away from this whole discussion that the African revolution of Haiti wasn't just a struggle that overturned colonialism or the, the slave master in Haiti. It was something that rocked the foundation of the whole parasitic capitalist world economy. Because, you know, as Chairman Amali Shatella has explained, the whole, capitalism is a world economy. The colonial capitalist system existed as a world economy resting on the foundation of the enslavement and colonization of African people. So for this African revolution to succeed is something that obviously had serious reverberations throughout the whole world. And uh, also just the point that that you were both making earlier, that Haiti is the African Revolution of Haiti, as the chairman says, was the first successful workers revolution and revolution against colonialism and, and successful revolution of enslaved people. And that's that never gets spoken of. I mean, you you hear not only about the Paris com- Commune, but also even the Russian Revolution. You know, these things, these examples are upheld as the, you know, the historical models of, of worker struggle or class struggle. But, uh, but the, the African revolution of Haiti was, was the real thing, you know, and as the chairman says, the class struggle is in the colonial struggle. So 
not only was it the first successful workers' revolution, it was the first real workers' revolution because the African working class is the real working class in the whole world. So yes. this is just a really powerful discussion and just really appreciate all that's been put forward so far. Yes, great point. I think that I think that it's, you know, the chairman has laid out that colonialism and African workers are the, quote, mode of production for capitalism. And that to think about the mode of production of the whole world, the greatest commodity that existed were African human beings at that time in the world, the basis for the entire massive wealth of, of Europe and the U.S. And, and white power and colonialism created and won a revolution. I mean, that was just... And, and it was a revolution of incredible humanity and um, just and leadership so profoundly. So, yes. And one very important rebellion that we see that was under the influence of the African Revolution of Haiti was called Gabriel's Rebellion. In 1800, um, he was enslaved on the Prosser Plantation. He's actually often known as Gabriel Prosser. This was in Virginia. And it was a rebellion that was very much inspired by the African Revolution of Haiti. Gabriel sought to raise an army of 1,000 Africans who would march to Richmond with the slogan, Liberty or Death, and take the armory and the governor hostage. And he had uh, 25 other African people who were hanged for this courageous planned resistance, which was um, unfortunately defeated before it could spread something like the Haitian Revolution to this area of Virginia and possibly beyond throughout all of North America. That's right. And there was also the incredible case of Denmark Vesey, whose name was Telemach, in Charleston, South Carolina. And the resistance, the really revolutionary movement that was being built by Telemach was totally inspired by the African Revolution of Haiti. And Telemach was a carpenter. And with other Africans, he plotted, he created a whole plan to kill the slave masters in Charleston, South Carolina, and to liberate enslaved Africans. And then they planned to sail to Haiti. And, you know, his plan was, was crushed, but it was a brilliant plan and a very bold and courageous plan for um, to join for Africans from the U.S. enslaved in the U.S. to be able to join their uh, comrades in Haiti. It's also worth noting that Telemach was involved with the Charleston, South Carolina AME Church, which is the same church where the white nationalist uh, Dylan Roof. A shot and killed, slaughtered nine African people just a few years ago. And Dylan Roof had actually taken a black history tour of Charleston. And he chose the AME church because of its historical significance and stature for the African community. Yeah. And I think that that shows how much the African revolution of Haiti and African resistance still scares the white colonizers today. You know, it totally freaks them out. And for Dylan Roof to have um, to have chosen 
the AME Church of, of Charleston, South Carolina, which is one of the oldest churches in the United States, um, was just vicious, vicious, you know, white nationalist violence um, fighting for the continuation of colonial domination of African people, which is not possible to do because African people are resisting, they're organizing, and they're winning. I just wanted to say also that the AME Church or the African Methodist Episcopal Church was founded, it was part of African resistance. It was founded in 1816 by Richard Allen, who is considered a leader of African, for African independence um, from that time. And it came out of something called the Free African Society that was founded in 1794. And of course, there was also the profound Louisiana Rebellion of 1811 and 1813, and the incredible resistance of the legendary Nat Turner with his slogan, strike at night and spare no one. Uhuru. Um, yes, all of those are, are correct. And I, I'd like to add two things. One, um, with the one that Jamie was referencing, the slogan "Liberty or Death," that comes directly from. Uh, that was one of Jean-Jacques Dessalines' um, slogans as well, "Liberté ou la mort." So that comes directly from that. And the Louisiana Rebellion that you're talking about, Charles uh, Delon, he was actually born in Haiti himself, and transported to the Orleans Territory after the Revolution, and as he said, led the. Um, the 1811 um, uh, rebellion that, that you just mentioned. And that was one of the largest, most organized rebellions of African people in the U.S. Um, during that time. And they marched, they had uniforms. They marched from out in the country where the plantations are. They were marching to take over New Orleans. I mean, it was, it was a powerful, powerful, ambitious and, um, well-planned resistance fight. Yeah, there were about 200 to 500 uh, that made up that army. Wow. That were organizing that group, yes. Wow. It, it really makes it clear why the Haitian Revolution just terrorized the uh, colonial ruling class. Like, th this was something that they were absolutely dead set against preventing happening um, throughout America. Yes, and it also inspired the African working class and let them know that they can win, that, that this colonial power can be defeated. It can be wiped off the planet. And so, you know, it just gave so much inspiration. And Alikia, before we close out today, this has been a great, great discussion. I just wanted to talk a little bit about the whole resistance throughout the entire Caribbean region and even um, the even South America and Brazil and other places there there were just heroes and incredible African leaders who fought for and in many cases won territory. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, so Haiti was very instrumental in a lot of countries and what they call Latin America achieving. Um, their independence. And I, I am putting independence in quote right now because, you know, we do know that uh, 
even as Jesse said earlier, colonialism um, and capitalism is still the current uh, world social system in the world economy right now. Um, but for the sake of history, Haiti helped many of these countries achieve their independence. And that is true for Venezuela, uh, Colombia, Panama, Ecuador, Costa Rica, Brazil. Um, in fact, um, one of the ways you can tell what some of the countries, although not all of them did it, uh, when you look at the flag, the flags of Colombia, uh, Ecuador, and Venezuela, you can see that uh, besides the yellow that they have, they have blue and red, and the blue is on top of the red, which is just like the Haitian flag, where you have the blue on top of the red. And so those were their way of recognizing what Haiti has done for them to achieve their independence at that time. So it's right there on their flags. And I do want to say just a little bit about um, Venezuela in, in particular um, with, as far as the Bolivarian um, revolution where, you know, Simon Bolivar went into Haiti and during their stay, uh, Alexandre, Alexandre Pétion, who was the president at that time, uh, not only gave them shelter and food, but he gave them 4,000 rifles, gunpowder, uh, cartridges, food, and a printing press. And, you know, all of these things for them to carry out the revolution. And um, the chairman has, has explained in his presentations how uh, Simon Bolivar has actually betrayed um, Haiti and the and the Haitian Revolution, but I did just want to say that to show that the role that Haiti had played, and there was also during the time of Dessalines himself, before he was assassinated, where he would send Africans in other places to, um, you know, to help them strategize. Not that they weren't already resisting, because we already said that Africans have always been resisting, but to help them carry out and hopefully um, achieve their own revolutions. So that is Haiti is um, the Haitian revolution has a direct influence of the other rebellions in throughout what is called South America or Latin America. Uhuru. Wow. Well, this has been such a powerful discussion. Um, part two of how, the Haitian Revolution changed the world. I want to really salute and thank you, Alikia and Goma of the African People's Socialist Party for joining us on today's episode. I want to thank Penny Hess of the African People's Solidarity Committee and Jesse Neville, chair of the Uhura Solidarity Movement. Thank you all for making this another fantastic episode of White Lies Shattered. And we'll see you all next time. You're listening to Reparations in Action. Reparations now! This has been an episode of Reparations in Action, the White Lies Shattered series, a biased podcast of white solidarity with black power. My name is Jamie Simpson. This episode was engineered by Marcel Marius, who also composed our theme music. The show is researched and produced by Penny Hess, Jesse Neville, and Lisa Watson from the Black Power 96.3 FM studio in St. Petersburg, Florida. 
A shout out to Akile Anayi and DJ Eddie Maltzby, as well as the entire Reparations in Action team, Sandra Forrest, Johan Bedingfield, Amanda Carlozzi, Kyle Weiss, Marissa Ricchetti, Ali Aiello, Alana Woods, Declan Keller, Hallie Murray, and Sarah Ritterspock. If you liked what you heard today, you can go to Apple Podcasts and rate this podcast. If you have questions, comments, suggestions, please email them to us at ria at blackpower96.org. Special thanks to the African People's Socialist Party's Chairman Omali Yeshitela, without whose leadership and theory of African internationalism, none of the understandings presented on reparations in action would be possible. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Thank you.